If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. On today's episode, you'll be hearing from Michael Wood, one of Britain's best-known popular historians and broadcasters, who also writes our magazine's monthly opinion column. At our History Weekend events last autumn, Michael gave a talk on the 1819 Peterloo Massacre, inspired by a fascinating photograph that he discovered in his parents' house. And that's also the subject of this discussion, recorded at our Chester Weekend. Putting the questions to Michael is our section editor, John Borkham. So, Michael, this summer marked the 200th anniversary of the Peterloo Massacre, and we recently had the historian Robert Poole on the podcast to talk about his new book, Peterloo, The English Uprising. But for those who perhaps didn't get a chance to listen, could you begin by briefly explaining what it was that happened in Manchester on the 16th of August, 1819? On the 16th of August, 1819, a great demonstration was uh, called in the centre of Manchester, a place called St. Peter's Fields, a demonstration which was for political reform. The background to that, very briefly, Of course, the Napoleonic Wars are over. There's immense social tensions going on. Prices are going up, wages are going down. And in the industrial towns of South Lancashire, these tensions became uh, very, very strong. There were a lot of groups agitating for uh, political reform, the vote, and so on. Many women's groups. Women were a very important part of this. And... Uh, It's disputed how many people, uh, most estimates say 60,000 people, may have been been a bit less than that, but around the size of a a big football crowd, you know, 60,000 people, in a region of Greater Manchester, which maybe had half a million people, so it's a, a huge percentage of the population, 
the atmosphere was like kind of wakes week carnival, everybody in their finery, the women in their white dresses with straw hats and flowers. They were carrying laurels, banners for suffrage and liberty and so on. Um, and the tensions had grown up over the previous uh, weeks over that summer. There'd been a lot of reports uh, to the government that large numbers of mill workers in the hills around Manchester had been exercising and marching either before work or after work, often drilled with staves and stuff like this. They, they, in the Tory press, there was a, a mood that agitation might lead to violence. And even though, of course, there'd been this big stress on non-violence by the organisers of the, the, the Manchester demonstration, uh, nobody was armed, bands were playing, people were singing songs, dancing and so on. But the authorities, as you'll know from, from Robert Poole's podcast about uh, his book, the authorities we now know from their internal letters and you know the build-up of this were spoiling for a fight, and they they were looking to arrest the the leaders, the big people who were going to be on the on the uh, the platform, as it were, for sedition, and uh, even the banners that were displayed by the people, liberty and fraternity liberty and equality and so on, according to the, the government and the Tory press, were calculated to inflame the minds of the people. And at the first opportunity that day, they charged to uh, the podium to, to get hold of the, the leading speakers. Uh, there were regular troops, local yeomanry. The troops went in with sabres on horses and panic hit the crowd. Uh, the whole thing only lasted 10 or 15 minutes. Um, 17 people died. 700, we now know, were injured, reported their injuries. Of course, a lot of people were scared of reporting injuries for being identified as one of the demonstrators. And the impact was enormous uh, in the press, in uh, pamphlets, in radical newspapers, in poetry, and so on. A huge impact. So when did you first become aware of Peterloo? Is it something that you were aware of growing up? Well, I was born in Manchester and uh, Peterloo was part of the legacy of, uh, of being a Mancunian, really. It's one of those things that everybody knows about. When I went to a big school when I was 11, our history teacher, Basha Bailey, <laughs> made a speech when we arrived and said, boys, you now are members of the Manchester Grammar School. And Manchester is the city of the Industrial Revolution and free trade and the Halley Orchestra and Peterloo, the heroes and the heroines of Peterloo. He said, and I don't want you to forget it. Of course, we, we never did. It always surprised me that Mike Lee, who's just made this film on Peterloo, said he never heard about it. And he was, he was only born over the river in Salford. How, that, how he failed to know about it, I don't know. But for us, it was uh, uh, really important. And, and, um, and my father's family, uh, because they came from Failsworth, uh, and Failsworth sent a, a contingent to Peterloo, Everybody was aware of it. And there was some sort of connection with Peterloo. But to my, I'm so ashamed, really, because I'm a historian. I never really asked, you know. I think I was probably too interested in 
you know, Anglo-Saxon history <laughs> rather than industrial history. I never really asked the, the detail. So have you since found out what your wood ancestors were doing around 1819? Well, my sister's been doing uh, family research, as a lot of people do, since she retired. And uh, she's traced our ancestors back over nine or ten generations in Failsworth on my father's side. Um, uh, and certainly to the generation born in the 1760s. So um, we've got an absolutely clear family tree running from the 18th century. And we also know about who we intermarried with and Failsworth, which is halfway between Manchester and Oldham, and until recently was a very distinctive place. You know, people talk about it as if it had its own dialect and it was kind of, um, you know, kept away from Manchester and it was a very distinctive place with its own culture and a strong radical tradition in the late 18th century, surprisingly so, to be honest, um, with a radical library and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, and uh, so we know a little bit about this. My father's great-great-grandfather, Jim, was involved in, in radical reform, boat reform in the 1860s, helped raise funds for the Lancashire cotton famine when the workers refused to process cotton from the slave states in the American Civil War. So we know a little bit about all that. And we also know about their, their intermarriages, and their relationship to some of these other families who, uh, of course, appear in the Peterloo photograph. I mean, there are woods and skulls, my grandmother, in the Peterloo casualty list, but we've, I've no reason to, 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 to know whether any of my ancestors actually went to Peterloo, but the, the people we were related to did. And, uh, in fact, my family amazingly, lived under the same roof as the Schofield family in the 1840s. And Schofields figure quite strongly in the, in the photograph. So it helps explain the little dossier of material that I found in a box uh, um, when we were clearing out my mum's house three years ago. Yes, fantastic. So yes, let's talk about the photograph then. So you found this while clearing out your um, mother's possessions. Um, can you just explain what this photograph depicts? Yes, it, it's, and I say I found, found the photograph, not an original print, no original print of this exists. And of course, we'd love to have one because the detail of the photograph is really fantastic. Um, what I found in a cluster of postcards, material, brick, about the stuff that my dad had saved probably from my grandfather's house and then he had saved uh, along with his certificate as a pharmacist and all those kind of little things, was a cluster of books, uh, the Failsworth Industrial Society, um, anniversary volume, the, the history of Failsworth, uh, a, a wonderful little book by Sim Schofield published in 1905 called Tales of Failsworth Folk. So my dad, who was always was proud of coming from Failsworth, um, had, had saved these odd, odd little things. And in several of them appears this photograph. Uh, the earliest, a pamphlet by the poet Ben Brearley, a, a, a little pamphlet about Failsworth history from 1885, I think, around then. And the photograph was taken in 
September 1884, and it shows 11 veterans of Peterloo still alive all those years later. Um, staggering. They're all either somewhere between 79 and 83, I think, 84, something like that. They'd all been young people in 1819, and they had attended a demonstration for the vote in 1884. And some bright spark had had the idea of getting them all together and taking a picture of them. And we know that there were slight, some of them were reluctant to have a picture taken, there, you know, sort of newfangled stuff, you know, you know why are we doing this? Uh, and there they are uh, on a cobbled, chairs have been put out, one or two are standing. They, they're on a cobbled lane on a, a, a path that leads down to the canal at a place called Wrigley Head in Failsworth on the, off the Oldham Road. And behind them is a loom shed with the, the you can actually through the windows see the loom gear. Uh, Failsworth was a weaving place, you know. My my father's grandmother was a, a bobbin winder, you know. Everybody worked in weaving, and the and the photo has got their 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 placards for the demo in 1884. Um, one of them says, fails with population nearly 9,000, resident voters 137. We aim to change that. So these old folks had come out to support this demo, um, uh, you know, 65 years after they'd been at Peterloo and uh, met some of the men in their black top hats with these little cards for the demo, which I think show a f photograph of John Bright, the MP, who, who we know was present that day in, in 1884. But the description of the meeting that appeared in one of the Oldham newspapers says that they were also carrying the banner that they held at Peterloo. And when you look at the photograph, you can't see a banner until you look very closely and then you realize that behind the guy who's standing up, there is a, a little cross piece holding an almost diaphanous piece of cloth. You can almost see through it. It's so worn and faded. And, and, um, and sitting, sitting in our office, we've tried with all the versions of the photograph we'd got to see if we could resolve what the, the blurred figures, letters were on the, on, on the image. And we've concluded that the the first line has the word liberty. And we know that they carried banners saying liberty and fraternity and liberty and equality. So that's the banner that they carried. And what's really great about the picture, and it was, uh, um, these were all identified by, uh, in immediately after the photo was taken, uh, the people's names were taken down with their ages. And uh, Sim Schofield from the Schofield family um, provided the details to the people who published this photograph in the 1880s and 90s, so we know who they all are. And part of my, my talk today is to actually say, well, who were these people? <laughs> what was their background? Uh, and so that's the, that's the mystery, really. It's a tale of a photograph, family history, local history, a national history, and I've always um, believed that you can go from one to the other, that every place and probably every family has its story that can link to the big picture.
Years ago, I did a, a TV series called The Story of England about a village in Leicestershire called Kibworth. And um, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful series. Uh, you know, I say it myself, it was the idea rather than my involvement. The, the, the portrait of a community through the eyes of the community with the schools and the clubs and the societies and everything else and the, the eking out of the details of their history over more than 2,000 years from, with every possible means, you know, archaeology and documents and oral tradition and all that stuff shows you that every community you can do this with. And this happens to be a story that very late in the day I did for myself. You know, I'm a historian, and the idea that I was never really bothered about my own family history sounds ridiculous, but I didn't think it was anything important or interesting was going to emerge from this very ordinary family. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. And the, the gains that the British people have made in achieving their democracy as it stands today and their liberties as they stand today have been fought for, not, not given benevolently by the people of the rich and the powerful. So do you feel that having this photograph then, do you feel it makes Peterloo feel kind of more human? Do you feel it humanises that story to see these people? Yes, of course. I think, um, uh, you know, there was a great book written when I was a student called The Making of the English Working Class. Well, actually, it came out in paperback when I was a student by E.P. Thompson, in which Peterloo plays a role, you know. And he says at the beginning of the book that he wants to rescue, in this period of the, the late 1700s and the early 1800s, he wants to rescue the poor weavers, uh, the Luddites and the framework knitters from the enormous condescension of posterity. And um, Failsworth doesn't appear in the book. It's not there in the index. Um, uh, but here, wonderfully, you can actually go to 11 people you've got the, who were at Peterloo, and we can know about their ancestors uh, going right back. I mean, the one thing that I did do was to go through the parish registers and the birth, deaths and, deaths and marriages but for Magister and for Newton Heath, which is chapelry that covers Failsworth, and trace these families back. And nearly all of them are firmly there in the 1600s. So um, you can establish a picture of the, the background to these people who were nearly all of them weavers, witsters, flax dyers and washers and all that sort of stuff in the earlier periods when these villages were just small hamlets that contributed to Manchester, which since the 15th century had become a textile town. And then in the Industrial Revolution, of course, they all get drawn into this megalopolis of Manchester, you know. So I think here's 11 people and their stories you can bring to life. And thanks to the reporter from the Oldham Chronicle, I think it was, who recorded the story of the, the, the day and the evening with the Peterloo veterans, uh, all sitting down afterwards and talking and the singing songs, we can bring them to life in an, in an amazing way. How important do you think Peterloo is in the broader context of English history? Where do you think it stands? I think it was a very important moment, actually. I think uh, 
At the time, of course, people thought we were hovering on the edge of revolution. Um, but the really interesting thing about it is, although there was a huge amount of distress in the South Lancashire at that time, people were really suffering. The big motivation for this was not a protest about distress. It was a protest about proper res representation and rights, especially for women. And what happened was so horrendous and so transparently um, wicked, you know, in, in shooting down and sabering uh, peaceful, unarmed demonstrators. Um, as a symbol, it was an absolutely clear dividing line. And you can see the reaction, not only in the press, but in you know, great poetry, you know, the greatest political poem in English by Shelley, is the, the Mask of Anarchy, it was in response to Peterloo. Um, so it is a great dividing line. Um, it was interesting that in this summer's anniversary, the Times newspaper, of course, writing their editorial in the time of uh, our present political crisis, with our present issues about the dysfunctional political system, and coming from a, a Tory perspective, took the trouble to write an editorial saying, oh, Peterloo had been completely overblown. And it's been overblown by left-wing historians like E.P. Thompson, and that it has no, no real significance. You know, this is just a, a something that has been fabricated in the, since the 1960s. Um, and, of course, it's... Of course, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, real nonsense. Whoever wrote that editorial had no understanding of, uh, uh, of our history. Um, and one can only point out that, of course, the Times newspaper itself in 1819 was, wrote the greatest immediate account of this. You, know, you could almost say it was the Times newspaper's finest hour. Their reporter, John Tyers, had been at the Peterloo, had hurried on a mail coach to get back to London, published the account on, I think, you know, within three days. And um, it was a you know, really great piece of journalism for which the Times should be as proud as they should be ashamed of the way they depicted Peterloo in 2019. So, I mean, how do you think we should remember Peterloo today then? We, we recently had all the commemorations up in Manchester when, as you said, we had the Mike Lee film last year as well. Yeah. Um, I think um, the broad picture is that the, the battle for, for rights for the British people, like anywhere in the world, um, has taken place over a long period of time. And that the gains that the British people have made in achieving their democracy as it stands today and their liberties as they stand today have been fought for, not, not given benevolently by the people of the rich and the powerful, who are still the rich and the powerful. So, um, and what happened in 1819 was 60,000 ordinary people uh, stood there and, and many suffered to, on behalf of those rights, and on behalf of the reform of a corrupt political system, completely corrupt political system, which, of course, whitewashed the massacre. And as we stand in 2019, 200 years later, I'm often, I look at this photograph and I think, if they were what, looking at this today and they were looking at what has happened over the austerity, Brexit and all these big questions, and they look at the way our voting system still works today, um, they would say there's still work to be done. That was Michael Wood. 
don't forget to look out for his column each month in BBC History magazine. Meanwhile, if you'd like to attend one of our events, head to historyextra.com forward slash events, where you'll find details of our medieval life and death days in London and York. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. That's all for today, but do join us again on Monday when Frank McDonough will be exploring the rise of the Nazis. (laughs) 